You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player, Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Good evening. This is Ashley Adams and House of Cards Radio. Glad to be with you tonight. We have a remarkable show tonight because the entire show, the whole hour, is devoted to the words and wisdom of one man. That man is Mike Caro. I want to, uh, before the commercial break and before we bring Mike on, I want to just wax a little eloquent about this remarkable man. Uh, in the poker world today, televised as it is, hyped as it is, all over the place in a way that none of us could imagine as recently as five years ago, there are a lot of names that are in public parlance today. I mean, you talk to young kids, you talk to old people, they all know Phil Helmuth, they know Doyle Brunson, a lot of them may know Phil Ivey. Those names are repeated all the time. But if you were to ask the real poker insiders, the professionals, those that have been in the business for a long time, who the most influential poker writer and thinker is, I think there's a consensus that the one name that would stand out above all others, far above all others, is Mike Carroll. And we're going to talk to him about his life, about his play, about his thinking, and about the world of poker today, right after we get back from these commercial messages. Out on the edge of fitness and endurance, there's a line. It's where winners and losers are defined. That's the narrow place where Gamma O gives the serious competitor the extra step, the extra energy, that extra kick nobody knew was there. Gamma O raises your testosterone level naturally and legally. So before you step up to the line one more time, be prepared to bring it with Gamma O, the all-natural testosterone booster. Available now at GammaO.com. That's G-A-M-M-A-O.com. I like Grandpa because I feel good to talk to him. She's all potential, but to reach it, she needs help. That's where you come in. Too many children today are victims of poverty, abuse, and neglect. He likes me and I like him, and he feels good about me. Foster grandparents receive a small stipend and serve 20 hours a week. Plus, they receive training and transportation help. But those aren't the real rewards. It makes me feel great feel like I got something to live for. It makes me happy. If you're at least 60 years of age, meet income requirements, and love children, you might qualify as a foster grandparent. Call your local foster grandparent program or 1-800-424-8867 today and give a child a chance. She's only got one grandpa, that's me. Call 1-800-424-8867 and learn more about being a foster grandparent. You're listening to the House of Cards. I'm raising the ante. Anybody wants in, get in. Anybody wants out, get out. All right, I'll play. Join us online at houseofcardsradio.com. Are we going to play poker? So, the poker game has begun. Welcome back. Ashley Adams here, House of Cards Radio. And uh, we have Mike Caro on the line. We had some uh, technical difficulties, and I hope that he's going to be clear, as he always is in his writing. Mike, are you there? I am here, and I am clear. You are clear. Am I clear? Can you hear me? I'm here, and I am clear. I made up a poem. <laughs> One of your many, many talents. Uh, why don't you tell us just where you are right now? Uh, because I think most people, when they think of you, that those that know who you are, which are the vast majority of the serious poker players in the world, they think of you as Southern California, maybe Las Vegas, but you're not in either of those places, are you? Well, I spent my time in 
Los Angeles and Las Vegas and uh, have fond memories going back there. But I left it all, and I came to the Ozarks, and I live on a lake with a forest surrounded by furry creatures, and I'm about one mile north of the Arkansas border. Wow, that I, I've actually been in that area, and it is beautiful, and it uh, is given to contemplative thinking and the like. Um, I was thinking maybe we could start a little before you became well-known in the poker-playing community. Could you tell us, and, and we do have about an hour, tell us how it is that you got, first of all, into being a professional poker player, which was, I think, the first stage of your life, and then how you morphed into being the unbelievably prolific writer that you became. Well, Ashley, I think that uh, I actually woke up one morning and probably, and I don't really remember the exact event, I probably called myself a professional poker player because I'd been playing and winning uh, for a number of years at that time. I don't think I set out specifically to do that. I set out to be a winning player and then sometime during my first 14 years of doing nothing but playing poker for a living, I guess there was a point when I decided I was a professional player, and I certainly <laughs> was, but you know, I didn't even think of it in those terms right away. Did you grow up in Southern California playing draw poker, or did you come to the area after having grown up somewhere else? I grew up in Denver and came to California in the, oh, I guess about... 1966 or so, and it took me a year or two to discover that there were legal card clubs there because that was a closely guarded secret. In fact, I went to the police station in Gardena, California, and I said, hey, I I hear there's legal uh, card casinos out here. Can you point to the way? They said, we don't know anything about it. So, uh, (laughs) and I I wrote that, uh, I think it was, might have been in Doyle's book, but it was my first attempt to, to try to discover where these things were, but you didn't really, they weren't. They weren't well publicized, to tell you the truth, and I eventually found them, and they became a home to me. There were Gardena, California was the site then. There were six casinos, and each one had 35 tables. And that's not large by today's standards, but it was very large then. Yeah, well, I'm wondering what they were like back then. I mean, they didn't spread hold them, that's for sure. What, What did you play? We played only draw poker. And um, you could play it in two varieties, high-hand wins or low-hand wins. Traditional high-hand wins was my favorite, but I liked low ball as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, I was honored because uh, Doyle Brunson chose me as the best draw poker player in the world, and I think John Scarney put me in his book <laughs> as one of the top five players, and then they retired the game. Nobody plays it anymore. And people so, attribute that to you being right, so good, no one wanted to play against the game in my honor. <laughs> Now, the truth is a little more complicated, I suspect. I think it had something to do with the fact that nobody wanted to play draw when it became legal to play stud and hold them in those clubs, right? That's right, but that's my fault. (laughs) You see, I was the one, I was the expert witness that they flew in from uh, Las Vegas the night that Huntington Park Casino and the city of Huntington Park at their council meeting decided to go against the grain and declare that despite what other people thought was in the state statutes, that actually it didn't forbid Hold'em. Wow. And so I was the expert witness that did myself in. I, You know, I didn't I know that. I was very convincing. So did you talk about the fact that stud horse poker is not necessarily stud poker? Because I think the law refers to stud right. horse poker. Uh, California had a very, very unusual statute, whereas most states say... Gambling is illegal, period. And then they say, here's an exception if they want to make an exception, and here's another exception. California did it the other way around. Hmm. They said, here are games that are illegal, and they named a whole bunch of them, any banking and percentage game. That's where the casino is taking a percentage. Well, those are illegal right off the top. But of the other games, they named them just by their own identities. And one of them that they named is Stud Horse Poker. Now, as you pointed out, Ashley, nobody actually knew what this game was for sure. Or you didn't point that out, but you pointed out the game's name. 
and we could never trace it down. It turns out that most likely stud horse poker was a casino game where, where luck was involved, but it had nothing to do with the actual seven-card stud. Huh. But because that was mentioned in the statute, for all those years, people suspected that they couldn't have any games where any cards were exposed. And there was an old attorney general's ruling from way back when in the 1800s that said that uh, draw poker was legal because there were no exposed cards. But they didn't say specifically that the other games were not legal. And I was uh, asked to testify that although there are cards are exposed in Hold'em and Stud, that those aren't really uh, games of chance. I see. I mean, there was a myth for many years, and it sounds like it's connected to the decisions and the discussions around draw and stud poker in California. There was a myth that draw poker was a true test of skill, but stud poker was luck. And I think your testimony, and in fact your writings, I've read you uh, making the point that, if anything, stud poker has maybe even more skill than draw poker, certainly no less skill. Well, it's, it's more skillful in the context that it's more complex. In other words, there are more decisions uh, that can be made in response to other decisions, so there's actually more permutations, as you will, there's a fancy word, there you uh, go. Of, uh, of possible strategies mm -hmm. or tactics. I have uh, read some stuff, Mike, about that period of time, and I want to know if you want to comment on it. It's a little bit edgy. Um, but, oh, I like edgy. Okay, good. Well, this, this will get us into something a little edgy. Um, a couple of background pieces. First of all, there was for quite a while, and there still is in a, in a survival way, an, a news group, a Usenet group on the Internet called recreationalgambling.poker or RGP. Rec.gambling.poker. Rec Rec.gambling.poker. Right. Which not only did I love in its heyday, but I did two uh, addresses for them, keynote speeches, actually, because just to encourage them, and then they got goofy. It's a very strange group of yeah. uh, kind of sharpshooters right now trying to take everybody down. Well, I re that's right. And it was that way for the last few years, and I think a lot of most of the serious players have left that site. But back when I still read it on a regular basis, I remember a guy who came on, and he was, I think, a very, uh, very big on self-promotion. But one of the things that he wrote about was his cheating escapades in Southern California back when you were a draw player there, and he claimed that among a lot of people, he cheated you. And there were teams of people playing and the like, and that these games in Southern California, Gardena, for example, were filled with cheaters. And I wonder if you can comment on that. Do you remember that period of time? Is it true? I do, and cheating was indeed rampant back there. In fact, they didn't even have dealers. You passed the deal. Uh, this man that you talked about, we won't name him. Right. Uh, it's a long story how I got involved with uh, his expose, and uh, I never thought it was entirely credible and said so, but uh, he seemed to get goofier and goofier as the days went by. Yes. Um, he did have a great deal of knowledge about the games in California because he was involved in the cheating. And... Uh, but I knew this long ago. In fact, when I was uh, editor-in-chief of Poker Player Newspaper way back in the uh, early 80s, there was a, um, a document that was a blueprint for cheating that was seized, and it actually had the scheduling hours for these people, which games they would be in, which days wow. they would be off. And, and uh, the response back then was that... Uh, when this was made public, is uh, one of the clubs declared they put all the names on a board and said only two of them can be in a game at the same time. <laughs> that was probably one of the most bizarre things. So I, I don't understand why they let them people, play at all. There was official policy you could only cheat <laughs> two to a table. Um, Rush Georgiev, which is his name, and I will mention it, he kind of turned on me. Um, at first he was, uh, when I, he thought I was on his side, uh, because he, he, I assumed he was going to tell all credible stuff, and he got way off track and talked about things he didn't know about. And right. just, I mean, it was just uh, potty mouth of poker. Right. But but the um, at that point, um, uh, he was praising me and saying how well I plays, and and then suddenly uh, and and said said I was the only person. He said I was the only person who could ever beat Gardena on the square. 
which which was kind of flattering and uh, but that went to later on that I was couldn't beat any game and uh, <laughs> was doing nothing to uh, help the help to advocate honest poker and what all. He just got very, very goofy. And it was right. a bad episode. It was a bad episode in my life, too, because I thought here we had a chance to do something for the integrity of the game. Right. And it completely backfired, and it's because the guy turned out to be, in my opinion, a nut. A nut, yeah. I, I bring that example up because one of the things that you actually helped promote in its earliest phases, like a lot of stuff, uh, was internet poker back before it became incredibly popular with the advent of televised poker in the United States? Right. I remember you were you were one. Well, of... originally I was not. Oh, well, let me let me just slide back here. Sure, I have go one ahead. Another comment about this. Uh, sure. This cheating thing um, in that episode. You said he claimed that he 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 actually had cheated me and his team. Yes. And he said actually he had cheated me out of a million dollars. He and his team. <laughs> And then he was gloating about that and went on and on and on. And, of course, you know, it's pretty easy to, to get away with that when you don't have the protections that you have today in the casinos. Um, you know, it was every man for himself. So it really was, it would be almost inordinately hard for anybody to uh, detect the cheating. I was always suspect of it and, and actually uh, confronted people, but I could never prove anything. But anyway, so now he's going online and saying all this stuff about how he'd gotten away with a million dollars. And, and I said, well, you know, Russ, it seems to me that if you're here making a public confession, then you're admitting that you owe me this money. That's right. So uh, can Pay we arrange some monthly payments or something? <laughs> Absolutely. He, he, he stopped bringing it up after that. <laughs> But I think if you're going to take the tack that you're a reform cheater and you're going to say who you stole money from, then your first obligation is to pay it back. Make amends. That's right. That's right. Well, well let me ask you about that. Since we've, we've talked a little bit about cheating and you, you said that it was before a lot of the protections that are there now, um, if I go down to play at Hollywood Park or I want to play at the Commerce or the Bellagio, um, what is different today? Well, I mean, obviously the players aren't dealing the cards themselves, but how do I know that the dealer and a couple of players aren't colluding or that some players aren't colluding and, and ganging up on me, so to speak? Yeah, you, you see, you don't. You don't really know, except that poker is more honest today, I believe, than it's ever been in its life because people have something to protect. The, game, the integrity of the game today is worth protecting. It's got high exposure, right? and uh, uh, people care about its image. And, you know, like I wouldn't, if I knew something was going on, there's, it's, not, it's not the old way of live and let live and go on to another game. I'm going to do something about it. I want to protect those other, other players who That's are right. playing honestly in the game. And so I think that a lot of the big names now and, and people see poker quite differently. It's not a not a hustle game anymore it's out in the light of day and it's worth protecting so, mm -hmm. and, and so people are paying a lot more attention to what they do now you talked about online and i didn't endorse online poker originally i was the first uh, known poker player you know with, with uh, some kind of uh, uh following to to uh to endorse a site that was Planet Poker back that. in 1997. I remember but, that. But uh, before that, I had written about the dangers of online poker because people can be playing, two people can be playing the same, or one person can be playing two hands, for instance. Right. Or you can be on the phone with a partner, and it would be easy to collude. But um, when I finally got involved, there were um, very interesting and, and precise um, software in effect. And uh, what, what you have is the opportunity, assuming the online site is run ethically, they have tools that can better detect collusion than you could in a real-world ah. casino. For instance, when I was, when I was in, uh, you know, I consulted with a lot of casinos, and I'd go into the surveillance room, and we may suspect that Jack and uh, George are playing together or something like that mm -hmm. and there's a suspicious uh, round of betting and somebody throws a hand away and you're saying to yourself well that looks suspicious I wonder what he threw away well online <laughs> now you know 
Yeah, you know for sure. <laughs> Not only that, you can go back with those people and look to day one. That's and right. See exactly if there if anything's uh, been going on. You have so a that's permanent an record, advantage. and you can also refer back to that permanent record in a way you can't do in a club, exactly. and yes. use the evidence to prove in a way you never could in a, in a card club or in a casino, exactly what the people were doing and why they're now being banned or being forced to pay back the money or relinquish their funds. That, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, just an example, what wouldn't happen? Here, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. Here, here's one example, and I don't want to give away a lot of information because I consult, and we, we have schemes that uh, online to try to try to pinpoint collusion, but just here's an obvious one. Yes. If you had people that were colluding, you would never, except for maybe trying to a smokescreen to set you off track, you would never see somebody bet if they knew which each other's hand is and somebody else who's not suspect call and then the other person who's in the partnership call behind it. That that would never happen. Right. You'd never get you'd never have your partner over calling. So, um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of patterns like that where we work with. Mm-hmm. I see. Now, you say that you consult you consult with online and live casinos today? Yes, I'm associated exclusively with doylesroom.com right now. Doylesroom, that's and the that's site Doyle, that Doyle Brunson Doyle, set up. Yeah, Doyle Brunson is, uh, is that's what is the namesake of that uh, site. And uh, Doyle and I go way, way back, and uh, I'm always proud to be associated with anything he's doing. Tell us about some of the players that you played with back in the day, as they say, one of those overused expressions. But you played in California, I think you said in the 60s and 70s. Who were some of your playing uh, opponents at that time that we Nobody might know about? Nobody you would know, I don't believe. Um, I mean, most of them kind of came in after the fact. Um how did you get to know I Doyle? I remember, you know, I, I can give you, you know, Art Sathmary is a wonderful player. He's, he, he, uh, he he specialized in draw poker at that time, went by the name, uh, the initials ASQ, and um, he just had it down to, you know, a T as far as... Well, he's he, mentioned, he, he isn't he mentioned... books it? on all his players, and uh, he would know how often they would bluff, and he just had it down to a science. Isn't he mentioned in John Fox's book? Uh, yes, that, he is. And he mentions you, too, doesn't he? John Fox wrote that famous book. Yeah, well, book. I actually uh, was back there when John Fox was uh, putting that book together, and we'd all go to breakfast, <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you know, we'd develop similar uh, concepts about things and, and go out and beat the games together. Not together, but, you know. As a, <laughs> I know what you mean. What's the, fam- what's the name of that famous book about becoming a... Great poker player and sleeping till noon. Do you remember the title? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's John Fox. It's a great book. It's uh, uh, play poker, quit, quit work. No, and... quit work, play poker, and sleep till noon. There you go. Yeah. I remember reading that uh, about eight years ago, and the character that is based on you. I don't think you're actually named. No, that was another book, and I was named in that one. He did a book, and he made me the central character that was on home poker. I believe it was. I see. And in in the book we just talked about, the Sleep Till Noon book, I think, yeah, I think I was not named, right. How did you get to know Doyle and the other very big-name players like, you know, Chip Reese or or anybody else? Well, you know, I I pretty much got familiar with all of the big-name players through Doyle at first. You know, after a while it was on my own, but at first, um, Doyle Brunson... Most of your listeners, or many of them, will be familiar with Super System, which is Doyle Brunson's Super System, which was attributed as being the great Bible of poker when it came out. Well, I was just minding my own business, playing in Gardena. I'd done a lot of uh, a lot of thinking about poker and uh, statistical work and what you might call primitive research. I didn't have access to the computers I have today. But I'd done quite a bit of uh, analytical study on on poker and how to beat draw poker. Well, Doyle comes out and he wants to have the top players in each specific form of poker contribute, and he decided I was the best draw poker player in the world, which was correct. So he sought sought you out. (laughs) I won't won't deny it. And um, so I wrote that section, and I I ended up doing the statistics section as well, Mm-hmm. Uh, both under my own name, and all the other sections were done under Doyle's name. Well, 
this was really not something I intuitively wanted to do. Uh, Doyle can be very persuasive, you see. <laughs> I, I went in kicking and screaming. I was one of those people who asked me, why do I... You know, why do I spoil the game for people by giving away all these secrets? Well, I, it doesn't do that, first of all, but I'll tell you why if you ask me later. I put but it down point, as a question The point to was, I, at that point, I thought it would. I, I agreed with that, and I didn't want to give away all this stuff. I was the only one I thought had done all this work on Draw Poker. Why should I give away all the uh, the secrets? But, you know, once once that book came out, those people were so hungry for credible information, because there just wasn't any back then. Right. That it just got me, I, it became just a drive with me to, to kind of, it's just what I knew almost immediately that's what I wanted to do after that. I didn't want to guard my secrets. I wanted to do more and more research and share it. Was that, those sections in that book that you authored with uh, Doyle's insistence or his persuasion, were those the first things that you had written, or had you written any columns for poker magazines? No, I'd never written anything on poker. Uh, I was planning a book. I know back when John Fox put his out, I think we were both planning to do books, but I never did because I, I just thought it was not the right thing to do. I had toyed with the idea, and I had become firm in my opinion that I did not want to share secrets, so I abandoned all such thoughts. And then later, you know, it was several years later that uh, Doyle Brunson uh, asked me to do this. I actually felt quite honored that he did. At that time, he had won the world championship, and I think just shortly after he decided to do this book, he won another back-to-back world championship. Right. So uh, that... Well, I have a list of at least 55 hours worth of questions to ask you, uh, which we're going to have to condense. Yeah, but I only have 43 hours to answer. <laughs> well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a about a minute or so break. Then we're going to come back with you again. And unlike our other shows where we have two guests and then a segment where I actually talk about poker, we're just going to devote the whole show to you. So we're going to take a break and then come right back and have more of Mike Caro and, uh, and poker. of concussion, Vince and Larry. If you don't wear your seatbelt and your car rolls, my friend, that's when your headaches begin. When your fragile body flips end over end, that's when your headaches begin. Tell him, Vince. Now, baby, listen up. Seatbelts are something you can't live without. When that car rolls over, it spits you right out. Yes, it does. So please wear your seatbelts, because your skull doesn't bend. That's when your headaches begin. A message from the Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. If you're in your 30s, you've lost something, something huge. Sure, you've noticed, but you're not saying anything, and who could blame you? Your testosterone levels are dropping. Your endurance is waning. Your sex drive just isn't what it used to be. Back in the day, there was nothing that could be done for you. But that was before Gamma O. Now men can fight to keep their vigor, thanks to all-natural Gamma O. Order today and increase your testosterone 100% in 30 days, or double your money back. Log on to GammaO.com. That's G-A-M-M-A-O.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. Join us online at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Welcome back. This is House of Cards Radio. I'm Ashley Adams, and boy, if you're listening, you are really lucky because Mike Caro is still here. At least I hope he is. You're still there, Mike, right? I am. I'm looking around. I see me. Okay. 
<laughs> Terrific. I wanted to follow up, as challenged to do, with the question about writing, because I, I get this question every so often. People say, well, if you're such a hotshot player, Ashley, what are you doing sharing all of your knowledge with other people? It's just going to make them better. And you said you'd answer that question. I just, before you do, I, um, I think of it like giving a spoke wrench Uh, there was a bike store in my neighborhood, and they had no repair business. And then they had this wonderful promotion. They gave out spoke wrenches to all the kids in the neighborhood when they came in, um, when they bought a new bike. And sure enough, nearly all those kids within a week came back to get their tires trued up because they were given a little bit of mechanical ability by being given the spoke wrench, but it didn't make them mechanics. It just got them interested in trying to fix their bike, which they couldn't do. And well, That's I, an excellent example. I like that one. Tell uh, me your answer. The, um, what I think happens is, is pretty, pretty equivalent to the spoke wrench. Uh, what, 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 actually, what actually transpires is that people are able, I think we've written enough now and, and published enough research that they would be able to actually become world-class players if they had the right disciplines just on the basis of that knowledge. But what happens is they end up using so little of it or misunderstanding so much that actually all they have is a uh, spokes wrench that they're not able to use. Now, a few people take maximum advantage of what uh, what's out there, what we've published, uh, myself and others, you included, and... Um, and, and and they do get great benefit, but then there's uh, there are others who just simply they buy a book and it gives them psychological power. I own that book. It just they put maybe they put through a few pages, put it on the shelf, right. and and it gathers dust while they think they're now for some psychological reason more expertise. This knowledge doesn't do you any good unless you really study it, really understand it, and really apply it. By, they think that by osmosis, just owning the book, the knowledge will be absorbed by their brain and it will make them a better player yes osmosis comes into play here right well, well let me, do you work do you still play in poker rooms around the world do you still play poker i did up until about a year ago and then i took uh after the 2006 world series of poker which is i very seldom play tournaments because i don't like them and that's something i've written about extensively yes the reasons I think you're probably familiar with yeah. some of those reasons, but um, and uh, I had to be there for Doyle's room, and uh, I was doing seminars uh, once a week throughout. So I actually played most of the tournaments, including the fifty thousand uh, dollar horse uh, horse tournament, which was interesting. And um, I was in the money five times and final table once, and then I haven't had. And after that, I didn't play a single hand of poker until last week when I went to do the California Poker Players Conference. Uh-huh. And that was my return, and that was only because I had promised to do those, uh, to play in three of those poker tournaments. I see. And other than that, uh, I haven't. I, I hope next year, uh, I think I'll go on the circuit completely and play for a whole year straight, just take a year off and do nothing but play. Well, the re- that's very interesting because I find that... Uh a lot of people, when they get into writing about something, uh, they stop doing it as much. And I was intrigued, actually, and the reason I asked the question was because I was intrigued if you have noticed, having been around as a poker player for many, many years, if the quality of play in the typical games that you're in, or had been in up until a year ago, had changed for the better or for the worse, um, now that there's so much information out there. I'm wondering if you've seen a change. Well, Hold'em, certainly, the quality of Hold'em play on average, uh, from strongest to weakest player, is higher now than it was when Hold'em was first introduced. Now, most of the players who grew up on Hold'em will not believe me when I say this, but Hold'em was not a well-known game. Mm -hmm. I was spokesperson for Canadian Mist Whiskey uh, a decade or more ago, and... um, they were putting uh, tournaments uh, for in VFWs and other ser- uh, service organizations and inviting people to play. And um, these were mostly for prizes. Well, naturally, they wanted to put in Hold'em, and, but as soon as they surveyed their players, they found out that 
nobody knew exactly what it was because outside of uh, our circles, Ashley, you know, in Los Angeles and, and uh, Las Vegas, Atlantic City maybe, uh, the game just wasn't well known. Now everybody wants to play Hold'em, and the quality of play has improved. But to some extent, it's worse than you would think it would be, even at this stage of familiarity, and that's because I think... What happens is they see these hands on television and they see these world champion, world-class players winning with the most ridiculous hands imaginable. Right. And what they don't realize is these world-class players very seldom play those hands, but they tend to be pivotal when there's an interesting hand. These are televised uh, versions of these shows don't choose every hand. Right. They choose the ones where there's an interesting conflict, and more often than that, that involves one of these weird hands. But for every one of those weird hands you see that comes in and you're thinking, wow, the pros can play that hand, so can I, those pros have thrown away 30 of those. Right, right. You're seeing a condensed... Uh, and then people come, yeah, people come to the casinos, they try to mimic that, and that's disastrous. Because right. it's not a, it's what they're trying to mimic never happened. I, I understand exactly what you mean. I, I think something else is going on that more than reading might contribute to why some of the games have gotten tougher, although not as tough as you think they might. And that's, I think, the natural laws of attrition. I mean, even four years ago, a lot of when a lot of people got started playing poker, and they saw it on TV, and they went down to their local poker room and played. A lot of those guys, the ones that weren't any good at all, I think have probably lost their money and are tired of beating their head up against the wall and have quit. And the ones that we see now, at least some of there's some Darwinism uh, going on where the better ones are still playing. Well, that's exactly right, but it's more than just Darwinism going on, because there's there's also a, a corollary to this. Some players who might otherwise become world-class might have put their foot into the arena and just got devastated with poor cards right away and never to return. Right. And then some of the ones that eventually became world-class players, they might have gotten extremely lucky in the beginning, although it's dangerous to get extremely lucky in the beginning if you don't know what you're doing because then you have a bad perception of what to expect. But, uh, yes, absolutely, not only is what you're saying true as far as attrition, this happens whenever a new game is introduced. And, and for most people, Hold'em was a relatively new game. They knew Seven Stud. They didn't know Hold'em that much. And at first, people play Hold'em atrociously because they think small pairs are better than, you know, Ace-King, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so, but it doesn't take too long for the ones who continue to think that way to be broke, and right. therefore they're no longer there. So, But the, you know what? This is true of poker games in general. If you sit at a loose table, it will eventually get tighter. If you sit at a tight table, it will eventually get looser. That's because not only do loose games get tighter because the weak players are driven out and the sharks are looking for places to land, but tight games get looser because the sharks give up on them and, and looser players come in. That's I've read that from you, and I've noticed that myself. And uh, if you, once again, the quality of patience pays off if you have the patience to wade out a very bad stretch in a game when the game is filled with tight, aggressive players, invariably you'll be rewarded for your patience and not going berserk or going on tilt while you're waiting because the, the bad players will eventually find their way to the empty seats that the good players have vacated because they're tired of the tight, aggressive game that they can't win in. I, I've noticed that and I've read that from you. And it's, um, I think wh- this is an illustration of what we call mathematically regression toward the mean. Regression toward the mean, exactly right. The pendulum swinging back, as it were. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit, Mike, and I wanted to ask you um, to talk a little bit about the books that you have written recently, what they cover, and why uh, a player who's already at least a little proficient, who maybe thinks that they're pretty good, would want to pick them up and read them and study them to get even better. Can you talk about any of those books that you've written recently or anything you're working on? 
Well, I, I came out with a book called, uh, it just actually should be out today or later this week uh, in the bookstores. It's called uh, Mike Carroll's Best Hold'em Advice, subtitled The Complete Missing Arsenal. The Complete Missing Arsenal. Of it. <laughs> and, uh, well, Mike now you're probably wondering what was missing from the other books, and including my own, and well, you'll have to <laughs> you'll have to read it. Mike Caro's best Hold'em advice: the complete missing arsenal. We're going to put up a link to that on Amazon uh, as soon as we finish with the show. What's in there? And without reading the text, what's in there that a player who again is you know thinks that well, they're it's a collection of basically all the concepts that I've taught over the years as they specifically apply to Hold'em and. Uh, some of the material is actually lifted from, you know, thousands of other writings that I've done and then upgraded for the book, and then a lot of it is brand new. So it'll cover the entire spectrum of everything. It covers, you know, starting and play, later play. It covers uh, all tells the psychology, um, uh, the, the psychological discipline that you need. Uh, whatever it is, whether it's uh, strategic or psychological, it's in there. Is it geared towards... About 500 pages. Oh, my God. That would be the complete missing arsenal. Um, is it geared toward limit hold'em, or is it geared towards no limit, or is it really for both and all it's different... definitely types? for both, and uh, concepts that are applicable to both games are so stated. Uh, those that apply to no limit are so stated, and those that apply to limit are so stated. I see. That's very good, because I know that recently I've uh, picked up a couple of books by some very good authors who will remain nameless, and uh, they were touted as Holden books, and yet they didn't make the fundamental distinction when writing about Holden between limit and no limit, and I can see all these young guns who are only familiar with no limit Holden picking up a book, reading about how you should generally call on the river because the pot is so large relative to the size of the bet and learning incorrectly a lot of the stuff that is completely different for no limit because of the different structure and if your book applies to both that's terrific yeah uh, well the, uh, my book of tells also uh, applies uh, to both and I don't I don't think I ever specified in there except for a couple pictures that said this is a no limit game or something like that um, Let's talk about well, that book, because it, 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 for those that don't know, the, perhaps, not perhaps, the greatest book on tells, on the body language of poker, is Mike Caro's book. Uh, it gives pictures, it explains the profitability of learning certain tells, it's the most cited, the most quoted book, really the seminal work uh, that's been done, and there's also a video. How is it, Mike, that you decided to come up with this book, and how did you complete it? How long has it been out there, and are you working on any new formats for it? I think that book's been out there for 23 years. Wow. And it's it's selling better now than it ever has before, and it's, it's sold strong for all of those 23 years. It's uh, And I am coming out with a... Uh, that book will be revised and updated with the pictures. People always giggle at the pictures. <laughs> These are the clothing styles from They're the 70s. They're so outdated. These, this is typically 70s style clothing with those big collars and it's goofy looking pictures now and right. when you look back at them they seem perfectly normal at the time <laughs> that's well how is it that you came up with that as an idea for a book and how did you go about writing it and getting the pictures for it did you have any help was it something that people had been urging you to do how is it that you created it well it actually it went like this it goes back to Doyle Brunson again if you really want to know yeah that's great tell us the story the, um Doyle decided to put out Super System. He was talked into it by a guy. And not being really a businessman, and you know how us, how we poker players are with uh, with business, we're too busy focused on, uh, on everyday ups and downs, which can be either brutal or they can mean pure ecstasy, depending on which way it goes. Mm-hmm. You're very concerned with that, and that's a lifestyle in itself. And even if you're very versed in business, as Doyle was, I mean, that's what he had a graduate. I think he had an MBA, and and took it seriously, not one of those weak ones. And uh, but but as far as 
business goes, you just can't be bothered with it. You just slough off everything. If you want to do it, you say, here's some money, go do it or whatever. Anyway, Doyle got in, talked into, uh, I think, putting half a million dollars, which was a lot of money back in 1977, into just putting out one book. Right. He did this by buying a building and putting uh, all of the latest computer typesetting equipment before it was common in there, hiring a whole staff and marketing and everything. And so here he has his business going. It's called B&G Publishing. And we get the book out. And I go back to California, and, you know, two or three weeks later, he calls me on the phone, and he says, uh, Mac, I've been thinking. <laughs> he says, you know, I have this big publishing company don't you think we might want to put out another book <laughs> i said yeah sounds like it might be the right way to go Doyle. <laughs> and so he he drew me back out there and i got involved and we did bobby baldwin's uh book actually oh, the, owl. the first one we did and i wrote that and it was uh it's, it's written in my name, but it's uh, it's about Bobby, and it's a lot of his own words. So it's a uh, right. I have that book, uh, and, and so it's a kind of combination. I quote him at length at po- at points. It's a it's an interesting book. It's back in print, by the way. Uh, the um, so we we finally do that. And but he of course, every day to... every day we can't get going. We cannot get going. We go meet in his office. We're going to write this book, but nothing happens. Nothing, <laughs> nothing. We end up just leaving after about ten minutes, going playing poker. There's nothing ever happens. So Doyle gets this idea. Okay, the only way this is going to happen, we got to go to Lake Tahoe, which is in Nevada, and we'll go out and we'll rent a boat and we'll go to the middle of the lake and you'll interview Bobby. And I'll interview Bobby, and we'll have the book done by the time we're done. Well, of course, that didn't work. What happened was we started clowning around, betting on who could catch a fish, bought some equipment there. Uh, Doyle decides he's going to dive in the lake, and it's springtime oh, in Lake Tahoe, which is high freezing. in the mountains. And he strips down, and he was very heavy at the time. And in this boat, this little boat that we bought, it was just tiny little boat because we couldn't get the boat we wanted. They didn't have it, so we're in a little fishing boat. He reaches down on the top of the water and says, it's, oh, it's warm. And I said, no, this is, this is springtime. It can't be warm. Ah, Mike, it's warm. And he just dives in. He just dives, jumps <laughs> over the side. And there's this roar like you've never heard before. I'll never forget it. It still haunts my mind. He went, ah! <laughs> Because, you know, the sun heats the top inch of the water. <laughs> Below that, it's ice. And now, now Bobby Baldwin, if, if your listeners don't know, ended up uh, head of the Mirage and, you know, one of the biggest uh, executives in gaming today. And But here he is back then, and, and Bobby and Doyle's trying to climb back in his boat, and he's pulling it over, and Bobby's screaming, you know, no, Doyle, you'll drown us all. <laughs> We finally got Doyle back in the boat and went back. Never did get that book. But I ended up doing that book all by myself on that computerized typesetting machine, one of the earliest ones. There was never a manuscript for it, but it got out. And then I said, well, let's do another book. So we were going to do the book of tells, and that's where I got the idea to answer your question. Yes. And the, um, okay, let's do tells, because tells are so fundamentally important to me. I believe they account for at least half of the profit I make at Draw Poker and other games as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I was focusing on draw at the time. I expanded it to take in the other games. But people don't really realize how much extra you can get from these tills. So we got people together. We photographed them. Uh, I never did put the book out with him because he closed B&G Publishing, but I, I think it went out with Gambling Times a little after that, Lyle Stewart, and it's been in a bunch of other incarnations. But it was just... It was also due to Doyle. I would never be putting out books if it weren't for Doyle. I see. Well, that that all makes sense to me. How did you get, um, I was going to say mixed up, but how did you start working for uh, Stan Sudikoff with Gambling Times? Was it Gambling Times? Was that the name of it? It was Gambling Times Magazine, which was the premier gambling magazine by far in its day, and then Stanley also, way back in the early 80s, launched Poker Player Newspaper. Right. Sam Sludikoff, I had the honor of in, uh, inducting him into the Seniors Hall of Fame earlier this year, ah. uh, doing the speech for that. So we've got a long 
very well over the years. And uh, How did you uh, start working for him? Uh, that was because of Doyle also. <laughs> they had some kind of a crazy lawsuit. Uh, I think Stan was uh, against Doyle, which Doyle didn't understand and still doesn't to this day. It was uh, because uh, the guy who talked Doyle into uh, putting his book out, Stan said he had an agreement with this guy beforehand, and Doyle's always said, well, that's interesting, but how does that have anything to do with me? I'd never even met Stan Kosludikoff, and right. I think they just said the heck with it, and Doyle said he would give him a column, and I would give him a column, and uh, and it was settled maybe in some other ways. I'm not really sure, because I wasn't privy to it, but uh, that was my introduction to Stan Sludikoff, and we've had a long friendship ever since. Ah, well, that's a great story. I I've been uh, cued by my producer that we're going to take another minute or two commercial and then come back for the last 10 or 15 minutes again with you, Mike. So if you can hold on, can you hold on for a couple minutes? Certainly. I'm all here lonely with the animals. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back with Mike Caro. Out on the edge of fitness and endurance, there's a line. It's where winners and losers are defined. That's the narrow place where Gamma O gives the serious competitor the extra step, the extra energy, that extra kick nobody knew was there. Gamma O raises your testosterone level naturally and legally. So before you step up to the line one more time, be prepared to bring it with Gamma O, the all-natural testosterone booster. Available now at GammaO.com. That's G-A-M-M-A-O.com. I had no direction. I did not know where I was going. I didn't see my life really going anywhere. I was working at an endless job, making $5 an hour. Well, I just wanted to do something with my life. Yes, I got off that bus, and I was scared to death. I've never worked so hard for something in my life. I did things that I thought I couldn't do. You have to put all your heart and your soul into what you're doing to do too. After the weeks were over, you were like, wow. Look, I'm awesome now, too. I am a Marine. You feel like you conquered the world. At down, 4015, dismiss! That day that they say dismiss, you know that you are a Marine, that you are one of the elite. Maybe you can be one of us, the few, the proud, the Marines. Call 1-800-MARINES. When I crossed that parade deck and they, they played the Marine hymn, that was the proudest moment in my life. Well, why don't you get back there and play some cards? Are we going to play poker? Can, when, I, when, I have a, when I have a big decision. I would love to watch you play cards. I would love to actually play the game. Welcome back. It's House of Cards Radio, and I'm Ashley Adams. We're still here with Mike Carroll, who has been gracious enough to stay on the line and will be with us for the next eight or so minutes. Mike, I just was looking at your nine-page uh, biography, I mean, your nine-page resume, it's unbelievable. There are so many different things that you've gotten into. I, I have a question, though. There's one thing that I don't see, and I'm wondering why it's not in there. Why is it that no clever television producer has hooked you up with a televised seminar with all these poker shows on television? That's a good question. Actually, uh, we are going to film... Um in I think it's February 16th at the Normandy Club in Normandy Casino in Gardena, California. They have a showroom, and I'm doing an all-day. It's called Mike Carroll only, all Mike Carroll only, Mike Carroll, whatever that means, <laughs> seminar. And I'll be trying to cover all the bases. We'll be filming that with multiple cameras, and that should be out there uh, shortly. Uh, why they haven't actually filmed one? I I did one at the. I actually kicked off the 2005 World Series of Poker with a seminar that wasn't publicized. Nobody knew about it. 
and uh, I'm surprised I didn't film that one. I thought they would. So you, you're you just trying to needle me, aren't you? They're, they're <laughs> I'm just trying to... Grain. I'm Stand trying to... my wounds. I'm, I'm trying to... Don't uh, do that. I'm trying to benefit the rest of the poker playing world with, uh, with a show dedicated to you and your teaching. I mean, I have never attended a Mike Caro seminar, but I've read about them and I've heard about them. Can you give us just a maybe a 15 to 30 sec well a 30 second preview of what kinds of things you cover in your seminars I cover all the tips you just you just point at the slides that are on the screen and you talk about them Ashley I there's like nothing, nothing more to it than that <laughs> you should you should sandbag when the player to your left is the most likely better if you have a huge hand, not if the player to your right is the most likely better in a three-way pot. Do you know why that is? Because if you have the strongest hand, the player to your left, if he bets, then the other player may call, then you can raise and you can trap two of them. If it's the player to your right that's most likely to bet and you have this super strong straight flush that can't be beat and you're wanting to sandbag, you shouldn't do it because then it will be check, check, bet, and now what do you do? You're going to freeze out the other player or what? There's no advantage to a sandbag there. That's the kind of thing we talk about. It I see. Now, what about, I, mean, I got a Mask World Series of Poker uh, video game where you actually get to play on, the in, on a computer game, the World Series of Poker. And one of the very nice distractions is they have uh, a Mike Caro seminar uh, in, built into the game. Oh, I remember that. Remember that? that? Was, you that talk about good. a winning force around you. went upstairs to a seminar, right. Right. You go upstairs to a Mike Caro seminar, and you get taught this mantra that uh, a winning force surrounds you. Oh, let me, let, me, let me say that before we leave. Please do. This is, this is I teach my, my students never to be superstitious, so we don't believe in good or bad luck, what we believe in doing the best we can with the cards we're dealt. In other words, playing your best game all the time. But other people, your opponents, are really influenced by luck. And any time you complain, you're actually inspiring your opponents. They think, hey, there's someone unluckier than I am. There you go. Uh, unluckier than I am. I can beat that player. And they're inspired, and they play better against you. Mm -hmm. But you want to keep that psychological edge so what we say at the end of every one of my seminars, and this is not for superstitious reasons, and the powerful force we talk about is the power of probabilities, but this rings through your mind whenever you're thinking of complaining about your bad luck, and it keeps you on the right track. And it is, I am a lucky player, a powerful winning force surrounds me. We say it three times. There you I go. am a lucky player, a powerful, powerful winning, winning force. force surrounds surrounds now, wait a minute. Now I have to say it three times because I promised. I am a lucky player, a powerful winning force surrounds me, and that winning force is the power of probability, and that actually helps people. I don't doubt it for a minute because I know that when I'm at the table, Mike, I often try to project to my opponents that a powerful winning force surrounds me, and even though... The force are the statistics and probabilities that I follow for my play. Those who are superstitious can be intimidated or at least yeah. It kept won't change your luck. There's no way it's going to change your luck. That's, that's random, but it will change your attitude. And it will and change their I had, attitude I had a player you. come to me, Ashley, after one of my seminars. He got in a game, apparently he ran very bad, and he kind of sarcastically said, you know what, I got in that game, and a powerful winning force surrounded me. It was on my right and on my left. <laughs> very good. We have a couple minutes left, Mike. I want to just ask you, you've been around a long time. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the UIGEA, on the, the Internet gambling law that's been passed. Yeah, it's uh, the worst thing that's, that's happened in that, in that kind of context. I mean, uh, here's America, the United States, we are thought of as the nuclear center of... Um, of poker we're the nucleus right and, and and here it is all the world bonding around our game and we're leaving yep. empty seats at these tables where 
all the other countries can be playing and exchanging and socializing and honoring a game that is uniquely American, even though it probably developed, uh, you know, yep. elsewhere. It's it's really an American game, and, and and here we are left out of the party. That's those empty seats. I mean, those are shameful. I believe. I'm with you a hundred percent, and I'm getting the sign from my producers that that's the end of our show, Mike. Wonderful to have you. I look forward to reading your new book, and I'm very glad you got to join us. Thank well, you. Thank you, Ashley. Okay. And that's it. We'll be with you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>